G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm part of the ministry team at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is entitled Trouble in the Temple and it focuses on Matthew chapter 21 verses 23 to 32. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew chapter 21 beginning at the 23rd verse. Glory Glory to you Lord Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a Pew Bible at hand, it's on page 1232 of the Pew Bibles, and we'll be focusing in our sermon there, so it's worth turning to. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe in him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness And you did not believe in him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. In Jesus' name. Thanks, everyone. Please take a seat. As we kick off this morning, I want to play one of my favorite games. What would you rather? What would you rather? What would you rather? Okay. Um, So, first question. Uh, What would you rather? Would you rather have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or to see 150 years into the future? Show of hands. 10 minutes into the future. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. A couple of people, they're coming up. All right. Um, You might be able to see when this sermon finishes. (laughs) Um, 150 years into the future? 150? Oh, okay, some some history buffs. Wow, okay, 10 minutes was much more popular in St. John's today. All right, Uh, would you rather be forced to sing along to every song you ever hear for the rest of your life 
or to dance along to every song, okay? Who's, who, who are our singers? Let's see, some singers. Oh, yeah. Um, Mary's got her hand up um, this morning. She came into church, but I couldn't see her, but I could hear her beautiful voice. I thought, oh, Mary's here, and I kept looking out, and there, and there she was when I came to the aisle. Um, so you, you definitely want uh, to hear Mary singing along to every song. All right, dancers, where are my dancers? Oh, okay, wonderful. Good to see Shirley Allen's got her hand up. She's being honest. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, last question. Last, what would you rather? Would you rather find true love this year or win the lottery this year? Okay. Find true love or win the lottery. Hands up for true love. Where are our romantics? Oh, good. Good job. Okay. There are some romantics. Uh, you're not all... Okay. <laughs> um, who would rather win the lottery? Yep, good. Good to see some, some nice, honest people. Some, some, uh, some of us have true love, which is awesome. Okay. <laughs> well, in uh, today's passage, Jesus plays a game of what would you rather with us and with his enemies. He tells us a story. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? So at this point in Jesus' story, he's getting into trouble on purpose. Jesus has been teaching and preaching An authority problem. We're going to see why people had trouble with John, and we're going to see how Jesus, what would you rather gain, frees us up to embrace God, our God who deserves all authority in our lives. So let's look at trouble with authority. It's good to ask ourselves, why is Jesus being harangued about authority at this point in his ministry? 
looking at his questioners really exposes where the question comes from. It's an unholy alliance, an axis of evil, if you were, between the chief priests and the elders. The chief priests were the Sadducees, the ruling class of educated men from the priestly tribe of Levi who were granted authority by King Herod to rule over his temple. They would offer sacrifices and incense, they'd lead prayers, and they generally care for the activities in the temple. It was quite common for rabbis to set up shop in the temple courts and preach publicly in the temple. But the chief priests ran the show. The second group of elders were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a Jewish revival movement. But unlike the Sadducees, they weren't priests. They weren't from the good family of Levi. And they didn't have authority over the temple. Their authority was over the synagogues in the towns. And they had a lot of power over the people because they were seen as keeping God's law. They were seen as righteous, good people. So you can see why both these groups have trouble with Jesus. Jesus is a country boy from the back blocks of Galilee. He isn't from a powerful family and he hasn't gone to the right schools. He set up shop in villages and synagogues where the Pharisees had their power base. And he criticized them a lot. And the people have been turning to him because they see him as genuinely living out God's word. Now Jesus has come to the temple, the stronghold of the Sadducees. He's evicted the sellers who paid kickbacks to the chief priests. And he's teaching and healing in their backyard. While the Pharisees and the Sadducees had their differences, they both see Jesus cutting their grass. Who is this guy? What right does he have to cause a ruckus? First in the country and now in the city, the temple even. Yet their questioning here isn't genuine. They don't really care where Jesus gets his authority from. They've already answered that in their minds. Have you ever met someone like that? Someone who um, asks questions not to, to learn things, but because they're ready to attack you with the next thing they want to say. It's strategic. The Pharisees and the Sadducees don't want to get to know Jesus. They want to trap him and get rid of him as quickly as possible. And so they ask him this question about authority. It's brilliant because Jesus could say, well, by God's authority, in which case they can call him a blasphemer and have him stoned. Or he can say, by my own authority, in which case they can laugh him out of the temple complex and put him as a loon. They're trying to trap Jesus with a question. So Jesus responds with a question. Look at verse 24. Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question if you answer me. I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? 
Was it from heaven or from men? Now, if this were a boxing match, uh, Jesus' critics had just sent a hook his way, but he's just blocked it beautifully. Matthew tells us why in verse 26 we get a behind-the-scenes view. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they, were ho- they all hold that John was a prophet. Jesus has his enemies in a bind. By this point, John has been arrested and killed. The people loved him, but the bigwigs refused to vouch for him or to protect him. Now Jesus figuratively brings John back from the dead and asks them to question John as he is being questioned. Some in the audience have been baptized by John and they've seen the fruit of his ministry in their lives. Now the chief priests and the elders are in a bind. Like politicians today, they're making decisions based on public opinion. And they know either answer will make them unpopular. So they're forced to cave in verse 27. They say, we don't know. They say, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer the question you don't have the guts to answer yourselves. The chief priests and the elders pretend to look to a higher authority. But as soon as their authority is challenged, they make it clear that their lives rest on very shaky grounds, their own made-up authority. Our world today still has trouble with authority. In our world, we're told that you need to be who you want to be, do what you want to do, go your own way, just do it. But this is a terrible way to live. It gives us the illusion that we're masters of our own destiny when we're actually beating to someone else's drum. This is why making time every day to withdraw, to be with God, to pray to Him, to read His Word, and to rest on Him isn't just good for you, it's essential. In many ways, we're like leaves on the breeze, blown about by the prevailing winds of culture, slowly dying. When we connect ourselves to God through his word, we can be nourished and we can flourish. We can be part of the tree of life. We can be part of something bigger. Jesus confronts his questioners and makes them take stock of their lives and admit their own incompetence. They're in no position to question Jesus' authority. Friend, if your faith feels flimsy and brittle, all you need to do is come to the cornerstone, to the author of life, and ask for his help. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So wrote the musician Edward Mote. 
The reason John's ministry was so earth-shattering is because he grounded his life in God. The reason Jesus' ministry is so threatening to the rulers of the temple is because he is authority itself. The Hebrew word for temple is simply house, bait, it's house. And that's because the temple was built to house and honor God's presence. Here Jesus, God in the flesh, comes into his house and the people who claim to be keeping it for God don't even recognize him. So often we're like this, friend questioning God's ability to run our lives when we've done such a woeful job of leading them ourselves. God is authority. He made us and we are his. Living in harmony with our maker is the best way to be. And this is where Jesus goes on the offensive. He jabs back at his attackers. He does so with the story of the two sons. Now, I love this story because I can relate to it. Uh, Growing up, my mom would sometimes ask me to uh, tidy my room, make her a cup of tea, or mow the lawn. I would often reply, no, go away, especially when I became a teenager. And some of you have lived with teenagers in your house, so you know what that's like. Um, I've got a seven-year-old. He thinks he's a 17-year-old, so we're, we're struggling through this phase at the moment. Pray for us. <laughs> anyway, I'd always say, no. I'd say, no, mum. <laughs> and, and my mum, uh, she's one of the sweetest people you'd ever meet. And so she'd say, all right then, darling. <laughs> she'd smile cheerfully, and then she'd go on her way and uh, make the best of her own day. I, however, would not be able to get on with my day. (laughs) Slowly, the guilt would eat me up. I'd think of all the things my mum had done for me. Are you this type of mum, Meg? Do you do this as well? (laughs) She's knowingly nodding. There you go. (laughs) She she just breezed on with her day, and I would be eaten up with guilt. Um, I'd think of all the things that my mum would do, and I'd think of how little I helped out around the house, Then I'd groan in a loud voice and I'd say, All right, I'll do it. (laughs) And mum would smile sweetly and say, Thank you, dear. (laughs) I can really identify with the first son because sometimes I take a little bit of time to come to my senses. And this is Jesus' point. His question is, the chief priests and the elders are like the second son. God calls and they say, oh, I will go, sir. But they don't. The people running the temple aren't letting God run their lives. They're not walking the talk. Friends, we often hear of religious hypocrites, Christians who say they follow God, but their actions don't square up. Stories like this should make us sad and they should make us take stock of our own lives and our own walks but they shouldn't undermine our faith Jesus was calling out religious hypocrisy before it was cool Jesus warned us that hypocrites would come 
says in Matthew 7.15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. This is why we should never build our faith on religious leaders, on a particular style of worship, or even on a denomination. The people in the temple don't recognize God Because they're not in tune with God and it's tragic I quoted for you uh, lines from Edward Mode on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand um, and Edward Mote, he became a pastor in his 50s and his church loved him so much that they gave him the church building as a gift and Edward Mote famously said I don't need the church I just need the pulpit and when I stop preaching Christ, you can take that away from me as well. Friends, we need to be in tune. We need to walk the talk. It's tragic that Jesus' own people don't receive him when he comes. But not everyone in the temple that day rejected Jesus' authority. The first son represents the publicans and the sinners who turn to Jesus in faith. Matthew, the one telling us this story, was once a tax collector himself, a man who certainly didn't live a religious life. He knows what it's like to be the son who ultimately does the father's will because he's done it, he's lived it himself. And so in verse 32, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Sadly, we know that the chief priests and the elders won't repent. Instead, they plot to kill Jesus the one who offers them a hand of friendship and a path to true peace is the one they will kill. This unholy alliance of Pharisees, Sadducees, and Roman rulers will conspire together to put the author of life to death. But they won't thwart God's plans and they won't undermine his authority. This passage should cause us to take stock. Faith that saves is not a spoken faith only. It's an active faith. Years after Jesus died and rose again, his little brother, James, wrote this. He said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Or in the King James, do not merely be hearers of the word, but be doers as well. This passage today should cause us to ask, who has ultimate authority over my life? Is it my job? Is it my possessions? Is it my anxiety of what other people think of me? Is it me, myself, and I? What would you rather 
Would you rather be someone who claims to be a Christian on the outside, but inwardly you have nothing to do with Jesus? Or would you rather walk the talk and live for Jesus with your words and with your actions? It's interesting, the word religion only appears five times in the Bible. Twice in Acts, once in 1 Timothy, and twice in this passage, uh, which Jesus' little brother James wrote. He said, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. True religion that God accepts is about caring for the weak, serving others, and not letting anyone or anything else hold sway over our lives. One final quote from James talks about the blessing that is found in giving Jesus authority over our lives. He says, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. True blessings are found when we live in step with the author of life. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy, happy at all. Happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Friends, this passage from Matthew is easy to understand, but it's hard to live. We need to keep realigning ourselves with Jesus. We need to keep asking Jesus, where have I said yes to you when I in, fact, in fact I've lived a no? Let's submit to Jesus' authority. And when we do what he says, others will see our lives and ask us, by what right, by what authority are you doing that? And then we'll tell them about Jesus, the ultimate authority in our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.